So good to see all of you here today. Thank you so much for coming out. And um, the worship was amazing, just focusing on the love of God. And um, while we were worshiping, it's not part of my preach, but you know, I just get undone when I understand and begin to realize how much God loves us. His unconditional, unmerited, undeserved love that He pours on us, out on us. And, um, you know, uh, I don't qualify to stand here. Uh, and minister to you outside of the love, mercy, and the grace of God, saving us and setting us free. And um, I was just thinking of the scripture, it's in Romans 5, it says this, you see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love in this. That whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amazing grace. And I just want to remind you of this. I was just thinking of this. There's two voices that will speak to us. And one is a loud, accusing voice. A trash-talking voice. And that voice wants us to live in condemnation, hiding away not fulfilling our call. And then there's a still small voice of God that always calls us home. He's always wanting us to come home. And I just felt that was for some people here today, that God wants you to know that He loves you so much. And if that relationship has slid a little bit, you know, the Word of God says we drift away from our faith. And sometimes it's not an event, but it's like having a, a sail ship in the ocean or in a harbor and we, with no anchor. And we go to sleep and wake up in another area, just slowly drifting away. And God wants us to come home. God has a plan and a purpose for your life, and God needs you. And we're going to see that as we minister more in the gifts of the Holy Spirit um, we've done a series on this, um, starting in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. And I'm just going to give a few reminders today. There's so much in this. But before I do, is Marie Edmonds here? Wally. Mar- She's just uh, gone out with the. Sorry? Okay. Well, Marie and Darren, the, the child um, has been uh, ill with leukemia. But just to say, speaking to them, he is doing extremely well. The treatment is working well. The prayer is working well. And they're really excited about what God's doing in and, in and through his life. So, so that's amazing. Amazing. Just, so, just a few reminders today with regards to spiritual gifts. And the first one I put you is just a reminder that everything we do as believers, is spiritual, everything we do. In 2 Corinthians 5, 20 to 21, we, we see this, we read this as Paul speaks to this amazing church. He goes on to speak about the spiritual gifts to this church in 1 Corinthians. But it says this, they are, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. This is an amazing scripture. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him 
who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him we could, might become the righteousness of God. You see, church, when we view our gifts merely from a human dimension, we miss the divine purpose. And we know with spiritual gifts, we often speak about the gifts of prophecy, discernment, gift of tongues, and all of those. And we understand those to be spiritual. But I want to show you that every gift God gives us is spiritual. And an example of this would be the gift of serving, teaching, administration, giving. Can all, be view, uh, all can be viewed from a human point of view. We can just say, well, these are just human gifts that God's given us. But we need to understand, unless these gifts are empowered by the Holy Spirit, they will never produce everlasting fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. And Jesus tells us to his disciples in the upper room, John 15, preparing them for his departure. He says this, you did not choose me, but I chose you. You're chosen by God and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And in the book of Romans, we see that Paul takes the first 11 chapters to remind us that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. That we cannot earn our salvation, we don't deserve our salvation. In fact, he speaks about two, to do two different types of sinners. One is the self-indulgent sinner in Romans chapter 1, where, um, and the other is the self-righteous sinner, the spirit of the Pharisee. Equally are sin, sinners, and equally need Christ. And he goes out to explain that for 11 chapters. But then he begins chapter 12 and by urging us to live a new kind of life, a sacrificial life, by being a living sacrifice, and that this type of life will be a spiritual act of worship. Worship is not an event on a Sunday. Worship is an opportunity here to come and worship God corporately. But everything we do as living sacrifices is a spiritual act of worship. Going on the streets, ministering to somebody, giving somebody a hug, um, listening to somebody's story, being there for them, visiting a person in a hospital, all of those are spiritual acts of worship. He then goes on in verse 9 in the same chapter 12 to tell us, that this new life should be fulfilled and worked out of a sincere love for one another. In the Gospel of John 13, Jesus says this, a new command I give you, love one another. It starts here. If we can't love each other, how can we love the world? Love one another, how? As I have loved you. And then he says this, and I have it underlined in my Bible, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you have love for one another. Amazing. He doesn't commend the church for its amazing worship teams, for the preaching, teaching, buildings, all of those things. And they're all necessary and they're all tools in our hand to share the gospel but he says, my church, the church that I am coming back for, will be defined by unconditional love. 
And Romans 5, just before we I, I spoke in Romans 5 there, it says that the love of God is poured into our hearts by His Spirit. It's a spiritual gift that God gives us. His love can never, ever be achieved. It can only be received by grace through faith. It's too precious to put a price to. It's the ultimate gift that God gave us that was manifest in His Son, Jesus Christ, when He gave His only begotten Son for us. Church, I want to tell you this, even before I move on. If we don't have a revelation of Father love, of who we are in Christ, if we get our identity anywhere else than that, we will always be striving to earn approval, never resting in the call of God upon our lives, never resting in the fact that before we even acknowledged Him, whilst we were still sinners, having no conditional condition that we would respond to His love, Christ died for us. Absolutely amazing. I think BJ songs were just right on today. Thank you, Beach. He then goes on to tell us, as I say in verse 9, that this new life we live should be a life of love, loving our enemies, loving our brothers and sisters. But in between those two themes in this chapter, he tells us how we should function in love as the body of Christ. In Romans 12, he speaks of spiritual gifts here. He speaks of spiritual gifts in Romans 12, Corinthians 12, 13 and 14, and Ephesians 4. We're going to look at Romans 12, Ephesians 4 gifts today. And he says this, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than they ought. Could I say also, do not think of yourself more lowly than you ought. But rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has given you. For just as each of us has one body and many members, and Nathan spoke on that from Corinthians 13 last week, and these members do not have the same function. That's important, that word, function. So in Christ, we are many from one body, and each member belongs to the, all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to us. If it is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, teach. If it is encouragement, then encourage. If it is giving, then give generously. And if it is leadership, let him do it or let him govern diligently. And if it is mercy, let him do it cheerfully. You see, and we notice in this here that there's no hierarchy of gift, that no one gift is more important than the other. The amazing thing about this is he places leadership second last. He mentions prophecy and leadership. And I can guarantee if we did a, a conference on prophecy or leadership, we would get a good crowd. 
But I don't know how big a crowd we'd get if we had a conference on serving and mercy and encouragement. Because we have a tendency to make a hierarchy of gifts. Now, leadership is important. The Holy Spirit didn't put leadership near the end there because it's not important. And leaders need to govern well or govern diligently. But it's no more important, my role today, than yours. There are many people sitting right beside you or behind you that you may not know. And I hear these, these conversations often. The first thing I love to do is people, if I get to know them, is how they got here. It's normally through Andy's good website, which is a spiritual gift of web making. But often some, they will say, somebody reached out to me. And there'll be people here today, I guarantee you, they don't need another sermon. They don't need even to worship God today. They need a hug. They need a word of encouragement. Maybe need some time at Tim Hortons over a coffee. And often I speak to people, and I've been doing this for many years, and I ask them what made them come to us, what made them stay. And very few of them, to my um, horror, <laughs> say it's because of the preaching. It's because of the family of God. It's because of this community. You're an amazing community. And God values you. And you're as important to this community as anybody else. You see, in Ephesians 4, 11, 16, this is just an overview of a subject, these two, that you could go to Bible school or university and study for years, leadership and the gifts of the Spirit. But I want to just remind you this, in, in Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, we're going to Paul is speaking about the fivefold or fourfold or apostolic gifts, depending on how you see them. But this is what he says from 4, 11 to 16. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors, teachers. Who's he? It's Jesus Christ. These are the equipping gifts for the body. And why did he give them? Paul tells us to prepare God's people for works of service, to train and equip, empower and release the body of Christ. That's why he gave these, not to get another prophetic word from somebody, but to be equipped to operate in the gift of prophecy. Not only to hear about evangelism, but be equipped to be an evangelist, a pastor, a teacher. And why does he prepare us for works of service? He tells us, so that the body of Christ may be built up. How long does this happen for? Was this just for the early church? Paul says no. It's, as, it's until we reach the unity of the faith in the knowledge of the Son of God 
and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of God. Have we attained the whole measure of fullness of God? A few head shakes. A <laughs> few I don't know, as I'm sure. But I think we've got a ways to go. Therefore, these gifts are important. Then we know we'll no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and the cunningness and craftiness of men in the deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth, I love this in love. Often the truth spoken is not spoken in love. And we need to remember that if it's not spoken in love, it will not bear fruit. Fruit of the Spirit. It might bear bad fruit, but not good fruit. And we need to understand, getting back to love, that unless we know God loves us, how do we love others? I remember one of my mentors telling me in the early days about truth in love and speaking about this to me. And he said this to me, you cannot put 10 tons of truth in a one-ton relational bridge. It will crack and break under the weight of the truth. You need to build a relational bridge with people. And as you do that, as we do that in love, and as they know when we confront them, we confront them because we love them and care for them and we want the best for him. Not just randomly going out there and downloading on somebody and say, well, by the way, bro, I love you. Cheers. God's like. <laughs> the truth in love. We will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. Man is not the head of the church. I'm not the head of this church. The Pope is not the head of the church. The bishop's not the head of the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and he appoints leaders, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists to work under his headship and his authority. We need to understand that in our lives. And from him the whole body is joined and held together. How? By every supporting ligament, as it grows up and bolts itself up in love, how do we do that? As each part does its work. See, we see that the effectiveness of the local church is dependent on the effectiveness of each and every member doing its work. Many preaching centers around, many churches, huge churches, thousands, hundreds of, tens of thousands of people, but it's reliant on a gifted, anointed leadership team. And Christianity in many ways is becoming the world's biggest spectator sport because people have been taught to be spectators. It's not your fault, but it is your fault from tomorrow. Because you, you are being untaught. Being taught. Just come up, watch the show, give me your bucks, and I'm the dude, and then go home. 
That's not what Christ intended. You read Corinthians 12, and Nathan did a good job of that. When one suffers, we all suffer. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. That's the body of Christ. Every single one of us. So when you're missing, and you're not functioning, or when I'm missing and I'm not functioning, the body is worse off for it. And God has called every single one of us. And I want to use an example of this today. Galatians, Andy, you can come here. And then I'm going to get Jimmy and Paul, these two strapping brothers. Sit there, Andy. So Andy's a big load. You can see that, eh? He's like a five-ton load. So if this church, let's say one ton. We'll make him lighter than five tons. So if this church is called to carry one ton, and we've got two people carrying that load, I'm sure these guys could pick Andy up. Could you? Is your back sore, Paul? Oh, no, no. Paul's got a sore back. You've got a sore. No. Come out. Come out. Okay, don't break your back. Okay. Oh. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Andy. What's the point of that? Nothing. <laughs> Exercise. The point of that is, if we've got a one-ton load and ten people carrying it, it's 100 pounds each. And if we've got... 20 is 50 pounds. If we've got 100, it's 10 pounds. And God has a weight and a load for this church. And God loves a city where the stats will say us out of 100,000 people in the area, 95% never put their foot in a church. 95,000 people that God wants us to reach. And so the reason why we want the church to grow is not so that we can have the biggest church in the city or whatever that means. We want the church to grow so that we can become more effective for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, each one carrying their part of the load, not only in the local church but in the city. We have many ministries and we want to start many more. We have... um, You can go online and check him out. But God wants to increase the load of the church without killing the leaders, I think. That's what often happens. God wants to increase the load. And it's dependent on each one of us. It's not a very long message because if I got into it fully, it would be too long. And I'm going on holiday tomorrow, and so I want to be out of here by then. <laughs> we're going away for a few weeks. It's going to be wonderful. And we, in that time, we're celebrating our 31st wedding anniversary. <clears throat> so thank Deborah on my behalf for putting up with me. I always tell her that in heaven, I'm going to be in the doghouse, she'll be in the mansion. 
You see, there are two major things that we need to guard against in order to be effective. For highly gifted people, we need to guard against pride and self-reliance and natural ability that can take place of the anointing and the Holy Spirit. As scary as it is, I could come up here and preach without ever preparing anything. And the spiritually discerned might pick that up. And that's very scary for me. Worship leaders, whatever you do, if we are gifted and anointed, it's so that we can be a more, a, more effective. But it's the anointing of God that breaks yokes. It's the Holy Spirit that sets captives free. Otherwise, it's just teaching and preaching and no different than being in a university classroom. It's the anointing. So we need to guard against that. That we're not re- relying on our natural ability. We cannot fool God, and God is not impressed without preaching, singing, or teaching. He's impressed with our heart. We can do a terribly bad job and stutter and stutter like, stutter like Moses did. And God says, that's my boy. Like David, a man after my own heart. Messed up a lot of times. That's what he's looking for. His anointing. And the other side of those The other danger is for us who seem that our gifts are insignificant, who devalue their God-given gifts, like serving or encouraging or mercy or giving, because they don't sound as prophecy, as, as spiritual as gifts of knowledge, as prophecy of healings. And so we devalue them, thinking they're not important and they'll never be missed. You see, we need to understand when we're talking about spiritual gifts, it's not about our ability. It's about our availability and obedience. God used a donkey. God used people that say, here I am, God use me. If God gives you the gift of healing or the gift of knowledge or the gift of serving or the gift of mercy is because he's anointed you by the Holy Spirit to use those to build up the body of Christ and to be an effective witness. Interesting in Matthew 25 talks of sheep and goats. Matthew 25 is A scary chapter. I read Jesus' writings sometimes, and man, he was straight down the line. He didn't mess with words. And he talks about sheep and goats, separating them. And he commends the sheep for some amazingly insignificant things in our eyes. When I was thirsty, you gave me a cup of water. Nowadays here, a coffee, whatever it is. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was in hospital, you visited me. When I was in jail, you visited me. 
When I was cold, you gave me a coat. And the sheep will say, Lord, when did we ever do this? And you say, when he did it to the least of these, you did it for me. Come and share with the Father's kingdom. Amazing. Amazing what we commend it for. Because what good deeds do and what the gifts do is they soften the hardened heart to receive the Word of God. But it's a process. In Corinthians chapter 2 says, I planted the seed. Now, did he plant that seed in word or in deed? I have no idea. Apollos came and watered it. Water speaks of the anointing, the presence of God. But he says this, but God made it grow. The team planted a seed in Jerry's life, freaked him out. Didn't see, they didn't see a fruit of salvation there. But God has a plan for somebody else to go and water that seed. Randomly, just, hey, can I buy you a cup of, wow, what's going on in my life? Well, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you what he did for me. That's how easy it is. And the enemy robs us with the insignificance of it. In our eyes. He robs us. He's robbing you. You want to know what your gift is? The thing that comes easy to you. My wife is very hospitable. You come there like others, it's like party time. If you come there, as I had the worship team when my wife was a go, it was Costco burgers on paper plates. I'm just saying. <laughs> when my wife got back and I told her, she was horrified. <laughs> it's just not my gift. But what I'm saying is, we, we, for ourselves, if everybody was a mouth, a preacher, teacher, what chaos it would be. We need more hands. We need more feet. We need more arms. We need more lovers of God and people. You see, our serving, we serve because we're anointed. The effectiveness of the body of Christ is dependent on the effectiveness of each and every member doing their part and carrying their part of the load. And to be effective, we need to guard against devaluing and comparing gifts. We must also guard against confusing spiritual gifts with spiritual maturity. Gifts of God are without repentance. He gives us gifts. And we to judge the fruit of a life who uses those gifts. And we can be wowed by the gift and say, that person's so spiritual and so mature. Maybe, but maybe not. You see, 
The purpose of the gifts are to build and serve the body of Christ and not for personal gain or profile. And God is actually pleased when our inadequacies cause us to trust Him. He's not pleased when we shrink away. But when they cause us to go on our knees and say, God, unless you come through, unless you build this house, we labor in vain. And some of the greatest men in history in the Bible were men who felt totally inadequate to the core. I'm going to read of two of them here. Jeremiah, a young man, chapter 1, verse 1 to 10. We can look at that. You can look at it in your own time. I'm just going to paraphrase it for time. He says, we see Jeremiah, a young man, anointed by God, given authority over nations and kingdoms. By his spirit-inspired word, God said he is going to uproot and tear down and going to build and plant. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was upon him and would be speaking through him. And when he spoke and prophesied to kings, it was not through his own ability or wisdom. It was the Lord speaking through him. And he wants you to speak, to, wants to speak through us. To the ones in the highways and the byways and prophets and kings was the Lord speaking through him. This was the same for Isaiah, Elisha, Elisha. All of the, the, the prophets, many of them very fearful. Many of them hiding in obscurity, called by God, Elisha, Elijah, from nowhere, called to deliver a nation. I want to finish with this scripture here, and then I, I would like us to worship and pray because I feel God wants to do something in our hearts today. This is not about condemnation. This is not about our past. There's no future in our past. God has paid the price for our sins, past, given, and future. But part of repentance, the word repentance, metanoia, is actually to turn around. So I can come to God and say, God, I heard you, and I'm sorry, and I repent, and carry on doing what I'm doing. That's not repentance. That's not repentance. Repentance is the fact, through the Holy Spirit, where I come before God, and I say, God, I need help. God, I'm sorry for what I've done. And I'm going to turn around, and I'm going to come back to you. That's the word. Turn around. I'm going to turn around. That's what re repentance means. I'm walking away, drifting away from God. God captivates my heart, and I turn around, and I walk back towards Him. And when we do that, something amazing happens in our life. Our lives will have more significance. I don't speak about my past life before ministry, but I was in Believe it or not, corporate banking with a major bank. And I dealt with some of the richest of the rich. No fulfillment in their life. 
I said, what could you buy? I asked this guy, what could you buy that would bring you fulfillment? Planes, trains, whatever he had. And I was able to share the gospel. He didn't respond either. But I know he was thinking. He had this God-shaped vacuum filled with all junk. And he was looking for something that he didn't understand. And just a few words like that can be a, a switch in his life, in my life. So the significance of what we do can change a city. I've often thought this, and I'm being very vulnerable, that if Oceanside closed tomorrow and it's an amazing church with amazing people, would the city even know or care? And I'm including myself in that. Would there be a gap? Maybe there would. I, I don't know the answer really. I know we do good stuff and I understand that. But there's more. This is about the mobilization of the priesthood of all believers. This is about mobilizing people that have authority and power in Jesus' name to cast out demons, to lay hands on the sick, to feed the poor, to, to have words of knowledge, to speak prophetic encouragement over people's lives. This is what it's all about. They're tools. It's like having a toolbox. Yes, we might have a primary gift, and I understand all of that. But to me, it's more like a spiritual tool box full of these gifts. And when I need a gift of knowledge, I don't, get, uh, uh, I don't use a hammer. If, I need, if it's a saw needing to cut through something, I don't go there with a hammer and bang them on the head. Let the Holy Spirit come and pierce the heart of a person. And when I need a gift of encouragement, I pray, God, please encourage me so I can pray others. And yes, we have primary gifts, but we have no excuse because Paul said this, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. And I know it's talking about corporate stuff, but we can deny, desire it. And I know that I get myself in situations and people ask me questions and I, I understand just the gravity of it that they're going to make a decision on their lives, maybe on my words. They are not light words. Well, I think you should do this. Five years later, he says, I did what you told me and look at my life. I'm praying in the Spirit while people are talking to me. Lord, I need a word of knowledge. I need a word of wisdom. Lord, speak to me. Lord, I want to hear your voice when, when in your work, with your jobs, with your finance. Lord, I need breakthrough. Give me a strategy from heaven. And Isaiah has this amazing vision. He spent the first five chapters, in a sense, banging on Israel for what they've done wrong. Then he has this revelation. And he turns from woe is them to woe is me. And it says this, Isaiah 6, 1 to 8. 
in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voice, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And this was his response. As he's before this holy, righteous God. And he says, woe to me. I am ruined, for I'm a man with unclean lips, and I move amongst a people with unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the Lord Almighty. And one of the seraphim flew to me and took a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth. This is old covenant. This is what Jesus did on the cross for us. He says, see this. has touched your lips and your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Your guilt, the accuser of the brethren, is taken away and your sin has been atoned for, past, present, and future. Then I heard a voice, and this is the heart of God. Whom will I send? And who will go for us? Who's the us? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are speaking to each other. And the Father is saying to the Son and the Holy Spirit, looking at this world that is dying, full of sin, looking at this world that needs a Savior, and He says, who will go and whom will I send? And Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. Our vision mission statement is this, and the new building will have it up all the time. We want to be a gathering, healing, training, sending church. What does that mean? We want to gather in the hurt, the lost, the lonely, the happy, the poor, the wealthy, the broken, the whole. We want to gather the people and empower them. We want them healed. Many people have been hurt, unfortunately, by church, unfortunately, by circumstance, by family. We want people to be able to come here, and it doesn't matter if it takes a month, a year, whatever. People get healed better than others. We want to see them healed and whole, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And then we want to equip them. And one of my elders... He's been diligent in finishing his doctorate as we speak in theology. And that little Bible school over over there is is overseen by Mark Manfredi. And I've been on this journey with him for his master's and now his doctorate so that he can equip better for works of service. We want people trained. And then what do we want to do with them? Get more people and grow? No, we want to send them. 
into their mission field, which is right outside of this door, at McDonald's, or in a surgery, or in a hospital, in government, wherever God puts them, to be Jesus' hands and feet. And I'm telling you, if they could start with 120 and turn the world upside down, what could we do under the power and the anointing of the Holy Spirit? If you're saying you can't do it, you're in good company. But He can. He can and He will. His heart is crying right now. He has seen every lonely person in the city right now. And that's what I want us to be. If you're in business, use that ability to reach out to people in high echelons who are lonely and lost. They need God. And if you are in a so-called menial job, people need God. And I'll tell you this one story as the worship team can come forward and if we can worship. My wife... uh, we were in Asia, and she just, a lot of you know this, she picked up a parasite and as a result has have had to have um, two liver transplants. God has been amazing. She's doing well. My best favorite doctors in this congregation right now helped us through that. And... There came a stage where that fir- after the first transplant where that liver was shutting down and they don't have livers on shelf. And it got to a stage where she had, at once, they said within 24 hours she was going into a coma, narcosis, whatever the technical terms are. And the head of the transplant team and the surgeon sat down with me and said, listen, we're going to put her back on the transplant list. And, uh, but we don't know whether she's going to make it. I got out of that and she did make it, so that's a good news. So please don't cry, be happy. But this is the point. I walked out of that. It was in the transplant ward. They had this little lounge I walked out of that and back to Deborah's room. She was in a private, special room. And I seen over the long time, we were there for a couple months, I think, this little Filipino lady, she was doing the floors every day. We'd say hi to her and, and so on. And I noticed that that day, just why every time I saw her, she was washing the same piece of floor outside Deborah's door. Just going, nobody, everybody ignored her. They wouldn't know whether she washed anything or not. And I saw her coming in and out in hours. Everybody else didn't notice that. And I said, I stood to her. And she was like this. And I could see her lips moving. And I said to her, are you a Christian? She said, yes, sir. I said, are you praying? She said, I've been praying for your wife since she's been here, and she is not going to die. 
a washerwoman with a mop. An angel. Let us not negate the power of God in us. And let us, from the other side, value the servants working in the Sunday school. Some of them only get one week off a month. Setting up chairs. Because without them, we couldn't do what we do. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and worship God.